Hello, everyone. This is Richard Beatty in the Songwriters Gallery from Sound Century. Hey, today I want to start this exhibit of the Denver music scene of the 1960s and 1970s with the music of Bob Gibson and also an interview from Walt Conley on a station, KFML, which is no longer here in Denver. My friend uh, Harry Tuft uh, did an interview in the early 60s with Bob Gibson. Uh, he was here playing his songs. Uh, he He's written a lot of hit songs. Uh, Bob Gibson's no longer with us. But here is a vintage interview with Bob Gibson. This is uh, Walt Conley on KFML Radio, Fine Arts. This evening we're pleased to have Mr. Bob Gibson with us. Uh, my way of thanking the, uh, the greatest talents and uh, certainly one of the biggest influences in folk music that uh, I know. Of course, this is really Harry Tuff's show, and I don't know why I'm sitting here gabbing about it, but uh, You're I think... You're sitting here gabbing because uh, uh, I don't know how long you two have known one another, but uh, Bob, I've just heard uh, records and uh, talk and concerts of you. I've never met you before. Uh, Walt always talks highly, so Walt, it's your... Uh, How long have we been kicking around, Walt? <laughs> six years now? Six years, yeah, yeah. at least six years. I, I think I met... Uh, B.C., before Coffee right. House. Before <laughs> Coffee House. <laughs> and I think I really met him at Winter Park. On, oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, on, uh, on, on Ski Slope in Winter Park. And I was going to keep up with Bob. And in those days... It, it, it was impossible for me to do. I think I can keep up with him on a slope now because he hadn't skied in about two or three years. <laughs> it's worse. I can't slow down anymore. <laughs> I'll bend for destruction. Bob, isn't it time for another ski song album? Yeah, I suppose, you know, that's a good idea. I ought to do that. I really ought to. That'd be a good thing to do this fall. Good Maybe enough. encourage me to get back up on the slopes a little bit, too. Right, sure. Yeah. Aspen uh, was, your, was your home for... Yeah, it was, you know. And... Uh, I know I was in Aspen a few years ago, and uh, the name Bob Gibson was still uh, talked about and thought of very highly still. But it's been uh, a little while since you've been here in this area. It has been, yeah. I uh, do what I'm doing this afternoon once in a while, stop through for a day or overnight. Sure. And uh, see what's going on. Uh, those who are around all of these scenes when they first started always take a <laughs> what, almost a paternal uh, interest in what's happening you know sure and you move from uh, coast to coast pretty rapidly so yeah. you're probably pretty well in touch with the scene uh, in folk music we were just talking about Hootenanny and uh, the outgrowth of it you've uh, you've been on several times now right a few times Bob, there's one question that I want to ask. It's an inevitable question that uh, uh, the reason I want to ask you is because so many people have been asked that, that know that I know you have been asking this question of me lately, and I can't answer it. And uh, uh, Harry started out by saying, isn't it about time for another ski album? Well, uh, I, I'm sure that it is. Uh, the one thing that I want to ask is, isn't it about time for another Gibson and Camp album? I think this album was uh, is one album that is seen more in record collections. You know, like I'm talking about walking into record collections and walking into houses across the United States and seeing an album right. in a record collection. Exactly. A very popular record and uh, well done and 
I'm okay. So isn't it about time for another Gibson and Camp album? Yeah, it pretty nearly is. I'm, uh, it's been two years since I've released anything. I'm kind of slow at releasing them. But I want to get one out of my own work now because things got to be clouded there for a while. My working with different people. I don't know, a lot of people didn't know that I was a single yeah. anymore. <laughs> uh, want to get one of those out, kind of a... Going back to where it was at when it first started, just me and a bass player. I come for you know, the thing, uh, there's a meeting here right. tonight. And that'll be the next album. We'll get that out early this fall sometime. And then uh, from there, we're going to pick up on another, another camp. I just talked to Bobby two nights ago. He's in San Francisco now at a new Second City sort of establishment, a cabaret theater, improvisational theater, a place called a committee. And he's doing very well. He's a great actor. Billy, come home now. Keep me good company. She said, Billy, come sit by my side. Oh, Billy, come home now. Keep me good company. Can't you see, Billy, how I've cried? Billy walked off one day, leaving his wife at home. He never said why or goodbye. It was too much for him, yet not enough for him. Everything felt like a lie. When in quiet moments an emptiness came to him, he never knew when or why. Only that all the vows didn't mean nothing now. So hard to watch something die. She said, Billy, come home now. Billy, come home now. Billy, come sit by my side. Oh, Billy, come home now. Keep me good company. Can't you see, Bill, how I've cried? Crossing the country, Bill felt awful lonely. Not living, just hitching a ride. Talking to many men and never knew anyone Friendless except for his pride And all the feelings of loneliness, emptiness Kept growing deeper inside Gathering storms of pain, bills burned his eyes again Billy had no place to hide Said Billy, come home oh, now. Billy, come and home keep me now. Good company. Billy, Billy, come sit by my side. She oh, said, Billy, come home now. Come home and keep me now. good company. Can't you see, Bill, how I cry? Why is this story told ever since days of old? Men leaving women alone. When all the good is gone, time to be moving on. The heroes are all rolling stones. And yet when they leave them and go seeking freedom and think that the eagle has flown, these proud independents so bravely resplendent will find there's no joy in alone. 
She said, Billy, come home now. Billy, come home. Keep me good company. Billy, come home. Come sit by my side. Oh, Billy, come home now. Keep me good company. Can't you see, Bill, how I've cried? The, uh, as I say, the thing that was always great was the, the popularity of the, uh, the album in itself. And, uh, like, what inspired it? And how did you meet Bob in the first place? I, you know, I, I'm sorry that I'm rehashing, you know, like old hat and things like this. But I remember uh, I had the club, The Satire, when you guys came into town. And you were just forming at the time. And I really, really never found out how you and, you and uh, Bobby got together. How did it happen? Well, I get it. Bobby was singing in New York with Jimmy Gavin. I, I headed into Chicago. Al Grossman was in New York. I talked to him on the phone. Al said, there's a guy here that really can sing. Uh, and at that time, I was contemplating, as I've done on and off for all these many years, forming a group. So, uh, and it was in the back of Albert Grossman's mind. Now, to those listeners who don't know who Al Grossman is, He's Daddy Warbucks of the folks in the world, right? <laughs> he operates back there in the, in the limbo, in the gray shadows, but he's one of the powerful figures in the folk song field. Albert and I sort of started the whole thing together. That was way, way, way back when. It was, uh, well, the Gator Horn was directly an offshoot of the offbeat room in Chicago that Ken Nardine and I were running. Ken Nardine, there's a, what happened to Ken? Oh, he's Not still in Chicago him. and doing all his announcing. You know, he announces okay. the symphony show and all that. Those are the ones the public knows about. Then he's a very, uh, very successful radio announcer and uh, commercial announcer. He does a lot of that kind of work. Beautiful voice. But anyway, uh, we tried to put together <coughs> something in camp, and it took us a long time to do it, to get it to lock in a place. And it was uh, really, the album was in many respects, uh, uh, I wonder sometimes whether it was worth the effort. Tremendous amount of effort went into it because of the musical empathy we had to arrive at. And uh, once it was done, it was not done. It had to be done every time it was done, if you know what I mean. It was so well, improvisational sure. that every time was, was another time going to bat, so to speak. This ballad marks a very historic event in the city of Chicago. A whole bunch of cops got busted. Which <laughs> was a thrill for us all, I think. <laughs> the title of this song is I Think It's a Terrible Shame. It only takes 10,000 crooks to ruin the reputation of one honest cop. <laughs> I'm an old Chicago copper. That's just what I am. For these investigations, I do not give a damn. I'll tell all those do-gooders just where they all can go. Say, I don't want no changes made, I like the status quo. Say, I don't want no changes made, I like the status quo. I'm prompt, alert, efficient while on the outer drive. I haven't made a single pinch since 1935. <laughs> I'm courteous to the speeder. I praise him for his skill. And I always got the proper change for a $20 bill. I always got the proper change for a $20 bill. 
I hope this trouble's over soon so things can settle down. And Christmas comes again each day for cops in old shy town. Or else I'll pack my badge and gun and northward I'll set sail. Cause the cops they all retire young way up in Summerdale. Cause the cops they all retire young way up in Summerdale. Now it's time for decent folks to finally have their say. Let's separate the crooks from cops. Let the chips fall where they may. You've heard us tell our story. You know that we are right. And if God and the cops be willing, we'll be back tomorrow night. And if God and the cops be willing, we'll be back tomorrow night. That's good. Let me ask you some. Some things about uh, some things I think maybe not everybody knows. First of all, how did you meet Joan Baez? Met her in 47 Mount Auburn, old coffee house in Boston. Club 47. Right. And uh, I was working then at a place called Storyville in Boston. Sure. And I was going the next month into the Gator Horn, and asked to have Joan in the Gator Horn with me for the month. Right. Uh, I had that privilege at the time of picking the rest of the show. This was the old, the old, old gate. gate, right? Sure. She was in the gate with me a month. At the end of the month, she was heading back to Boston, and I was going to Newport to the folk festival. Right. Remember that? Uh, said, "Come on to the folk festival." She showed up there, and uh, just at the spur of the moment, I thought, "Well, we've been goofing around with some songs." So I brought her up on stage, and uh, that was it. And that was that was the the start. I don't know. People have heard the album, and uh, I think Vanguard has made a thing of it now uh, that her other Vanguard albums have made it. Uh, but they don't, I don't think, realize where the position, where you were, where you stood, and what your role was with it. Um, was Al Grossman involved in this also? Was he involved in Newport at the time? He was involved in Newport, yeah. And. Uh, did she, she started off from there? Was this? Oh, there was a great deal of resistance to having her up on, on the stage, you know. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, because she was, you know, an, an unannounced and... Uh, Unorthodox-looking yeah, person. Uh, unannounced act, and, uh, you know, if I could bring someone up to sing with me, why couldn't everyone sort sure. of thing? And, Everybody's but favorite... Uh, did it anyway. Did, <laughs> did it anyway. Right. <laughs> I imagine there are 55 people who claim credit for... <laughs> Joan Baez getting up there and singing that afternoon. Sure. And it was just, she and I at the spur of the moment, it just happened, that's all. It just went. Virgin Mary had a one song.
You're listening to the Songwriters Gallery on Legends in the main gallery today. A look back on the music of Bob Gibson from an interview with Harry Tuft and the late Denver folk singer, radio host, Walt Conley. I'm Richard Beatty, your host and curator. Special thanks to Harry Tuft, who donated a great collection of Denver radio legends to Sound Century and to Park Peters at Audio Park, who has actually digitized uh, a lot of, uh, of the work uh, that Harry had done uh, from the 60s and 70s. And now we'll get back to that interview. People in the two or three or let's say four years that I've uh, gotten, been involved in, in this area of folk music have always mentioned your name in, well, whether I was in the East Coast or, or the West or, or out right here, uh, it's been in different contexts. But the most consistent thing is that if someone doesn't say that you've started them off, they say that you have given them the material which starts them off, or that you're supplying material for uh, a number of the most successful, well, a number of people who are the most successful today. And you have admirers everywhere, in Denver particularly, among people who know some of the material that you have brought out. You. Uh, are pretty generous this way. Is this a part, just a part of your your nature to uh, to write and arrange and offer material to people and yeah, offer starts like to, to people? I like to do it. Is it awfully? Is it awfully? I, I think I'd better say something here because I think I don't think it's modesty. I think it's just uh, he's, he's quiet about it. Uh, I think that uh, Bob Gibson, you know, uh, in the last five, six, seven years, has influenced folk music. So darn much it isn't even funny. He's given. Uh, I hear, you know, like I hear Gibson sounds around the country. In other words, you go to a concert. Sure. You hear a Gibson sound. You're uh, you're hearing a, a, a duo. You know, I heard a little duo called the Harris Brothers. Uh, they were working at the um, Old Town North. They got on stage for an audition, <clears throat> and I could hear all the Gibson and Camp arrangements. Pattern. You know. Sure. Uh, the, the, not so much the patter, but the arrangement was there, and uh, you know, and they were trying hard for a Gibson Camp sound. Not only that, uh, I hear it, uh, I hear it in the limelighters. You know, I hear uh, Gibson arrangements. I certainly don't hear a Gibson sound out of the limelighters, but uh, I hear, uh, you know, Gibson arrangements, and they're certainly trying. The three boys like are trying very hard to. You know. Hey, I did some stuff on their last album. It was really, it was really a scam. It was. Uh, <laughs> Kind of delightful. Did a whole album of traditional material, and we went back and did some wild arrangements on such things as "Sweet Betsy" from Pike and "Get Along oh, yeah. Little Doggies" and "Dink Song" and some real standards. And uh, well, RCA got so excited that we're starting Monday in New York to work on another album. Is that we right? The other one we only got done about a month ago. Who will you record for yourself? Electra, still with Electra. Still Electra. Yeah. What uh, Riverside was pre pre Electra? Right. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, that's true. Uh, how did you come to the 12 string guitar? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Who did you see before you were doing it? Well, of course, everybody heard Led Belly on yeah. records. And uh, Freddie Gerlach turned everybody on right. in New York. Right. Turned Pete and myself and Eric Darling. He turned us all on a 12 string all at about the same time. And uh, it's just a goofy sound. It's yeah. Like, and it. Uh, uh, between yourself and, I guess, 
Seeger, and then of late in this real fad thing, Eric Darling, have turned the 12-string uh, the guitar into a new implement of folk music. But you've been using it for several years. Yeah, about right. four years now. Right. Did you move from the banjo just uh, to the 12-string? To the do you use the 12-string exclusively now, or, the, or do you play banjo anymore? More often than not, now I don't pick up the banjo at all. I'm completely involved in the 12-string. Uh -huh. I hear a lot of complaints of that. I, you know, like I, I don't complain myself because uh, there's just so much in the 12-string, and I'm listening myself and trying to pick up things. But I hear a lot of complaints of that. You know, sure. as you would. You know, yeah. these are the diehards. You know, <clears throat> in other words, it all ended. No matter. I, I realize, like you said, you want to go back and you want to make another album. You know, like yourself and a bass player, you know, but I'm sure that it, uh, it will progress over even, you know, the greatness of, I like, come forward to sing and there's a meeting here. Where the hang-up is, people now want to hear things that five and six years ago were what I was doing. Right. Uh, now, you can't get anybody to sing Michael Rose the Boat right. Shore. Right, Maddie Grove. In those days, you could hardly get them to sing it because uh, <laughs> the, the other end of the spectrum was totally yeah. unknown. Right. Now it's too well-known. Right. I'll give you a story. A few months ago in Cleveland, a late night hippy dippy disc jockey, one of the finger popping kind. You know, in every town there's a late night right. jazz sure. disc jockey who's very hip. He's interviewing Miles Davis and he was talking about an album that Miles made in 1951 on the Blue Note label. And he was telling Miles it's one of the great things that's ever been done. It was a new direction in music, it influenced a lot of other musicians and all that. Miles said, When'd you pick up on the album? He said, the guy said about two years ago, Miles said, you should have dug it in 51. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so I don't know, to me it's sort of going back to use the banjo. And uh, I still haven't involved myself with, with, I still want to present the new songs that I'm working on, where I'm at musically. Not so much work out uh, the best of the songs I've ever done in terms sure. of an act and just get up there and entertain. I'd, I'd probably come out much further if I were getting up there to entertain because that's what people want when they come in a concert hall or a coffee house. But I'm still too involved with experimenting with the material and all and haven't decided yet to be a, a true professional entertainer. So I'm still kind of in the fooling around amateur class right. in that sense. I still want to maintain my uh, exploring the music you know, for a while anyway. Well, you're one of those people who is as involved in the uh, in musical side, the musical side of of uh, folk music, the arranging area, as you are in front of being in front of people, and uh, probably more so these days in that end of it than being in front of people. You really this uh, this yeah. is where your reward is more. No, yeah, I'm pretty reluctant now to make coffee house engagements and something. Let other people test your material, and oh, I'll be glad to test it. I'm liking to do it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, there's no uh, there's no doubt that they are. Uh, using your material, the the songs are traceable. Uh, I think on a majority of albums, you can by using your first four albums, your your Riverside albums, uh, can go back constantly. Like the, the oldest standard around, the people that are still new to people is Abilene, yeah. and I first heard it on the I Comfort a Sing album. Right. Uh, Bob, thank you very very much. For Pleasure coming in, Pleasure. and Walt, thank you for uh, allowing me to make the introduction. I hope that uh, I hope you you'll make Denver for a, uh, a several week. I'll come back here soon. It's been a long time. Maybe we can raise that one. I wish so. I'd certainly love to see you here for a while, and particularly in a concert. Great.
you know I'm going to be pushing it stronger than anybody. Yeah, I know that. Well, <laughs> thanks very much, Bob. My pleasure. town I've ever seen Women there don't treat you mean In Abilene, my Abilene I sit alone most every night Watch those trains roll out of sight Don't I wish they were carrying me to Abilene, my Abilene Abilene, my 